Hello everyone, my name is Sarah and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church. I want to welcome you to our second week in this series, Deconstructing Jesus. If you missed Pastor Derek's first sermon, I encourage you go back, give it a listen, find that on our website or our YouTube channel. Now his big idea, Jesus is fully God and fully man in order for your salvation to be complete. That's the bedrock upon which this whole series on Christology, the theology of Jesus, is being built. So I hope you'll commit to joining us every week because I am so excited for everything we're going to learn. Psalm 42.1 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. I hope this study of Jesus makes you thirsty for more. I hope that you have looked around at the world's brokenness and the world's lies and the devastation wrought by sin and the false empty platitudes of social media. I hope you've looked at all of that and found it wanting. With everything in my being, I want us to know that truth, light, love, goodness, hope, those things are promised but never fulfilled by anything or anyone other than Jesus. So Pastor Derek's going to do a great job, and I'm going to do a good job, but you are also invited to do some good theological work as we labor, labor together to answer life's most important question. Who is Jesus? So grab a journal, set Grace Church as my church in new version, so you can subscribe to the featured plans and read through three of the four Gospels over the next six weeks. And discover for yourself what Jesus teaches and how he lives and who he calls his followers to be. Okay, so today we're going to dive into some of, some of Jesus' miracles and what those reveal to us about him. We're looking at one story, two miracles found in three of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give an account of these events, and we're going to read from Mark 5. Now, this day probably began as any other day, but it's not going to end that way, and I want you to imagine being there. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well, made well, and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. 
taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Now you're Jairus. You're a Pharisee, and the Pharisees are mostly skeptical, if not outright hostile toward this rabbi. But your daughter is dying, and you love her so much, and you're desperate. And you've heard the stories about Jesus, and maybe they're true. So imagine running and looking and following the crowds, and there he is, and you're out of breath, and you throw yourself on the ground by Jesus, and you just beg him to come. Please, come. Or you're the woman. And by the standard of Old Testament purity laws, you're unclean, and you have been for more than a decade. So anytime you're near people, you have to yell out, unclean, unclean, so that no one will accidentally touch you. Not only are you weak and suffering from anemia, but you haven't been touched in so long. No helping hand, no hugs, and you're desperate. And you've heard the stories about Jesus. So you hide your face and you slip into the crowd unnoticed, reaching out. Because maybe, maybe if you just touch him. Or maybe you're in the crowd. And look, it's the rabbi everyone's talking about. He's right over there. Let's get closer to hear what he's going to say. Let's press in to see what he's going to do. And what does he do? Oh my goodness, what a day. What stories to tell those who missed being there. An unclean woman healed. And not only healed, but he called her daughter. And a little girl, she died. I mean, the mourners, they were already weeping and wailing and everything, but he went in and she came out alive. Now, I wonder if any work got done the rest of that day. Everyone, the crowd, the religious leaders, the disciples, the recipients of the miracles, they were all wondering and all asking, who is this man? By what power has he done this? And what does this mean that instead of being made unclean, he made the woman clean? And what does it mean that he reached down and brought the girl back from death? Mark 5.42 says that the witnesses were overcome with amazement. There was no doubt about what had happened, what they had seen with their very own eyes. But they were still wondering who exactly this rabbi was. Their questions about Jesus were born out of the amazing demonstrations of healing that he had just performed. So let's bring ourselves back, 21st century Western culture. How do we respond to these stories? How do we respond to the work of Jesus? Then they were amazed. Now, I mean, we're all a bunch of skeptics, right? One Bible scholar and author says this about our skepticism. At least part of the problem is the influence of a materialistic or naturalistic worldview. This worldview says that the universe is an impersonal system whose basic character is matter and energy in motion. There's no room for a personal God. There is no room either for finite spirits such as angels, demons, or departed spirits. As a consequence, there is no room for miracles. There's no room for a God as a personal God to act in a personal way that deviates from the normal patterns in which he rules the world. So most of the people we know and many of us, we don't even have a view of reality that allows for a personal God who breaks into the world. But the funny thing is that while we're skeptical and doubtful about Jesus, we are obviously enamored by the idea of the supernatural. There are so many examples of the streaming on our TVs right now. Ghost hunters, ghostbusters, haunting, strange, and paranormal, paranormal, I can't even say the word, paranormal and stranger things, right? So maybe instead of letting our fascination with the supernatural lead us on ghost hunts or just a vegging out on the paranormal green glow of our television sets, let's redirect our focus to Jesus to his miracles, to his supernatural invasion of this broken world. But first, 
What are miracles? Here are a couple of good definitions. The miracles of Christ are expressions of God's power in the divinity of Christ, testified authoritatively to in the Bible, which signified the coming of that salvation that was associated with the kingdom of God. Another one is a less common way that God works in the world, but a way that arouses awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. Now, as you read through three of the Gospels, Mark, Luke, and John, over the next several weeks, you are going to encounter the four types of miracles performed by Jesus. I feel like I should be giving a little spoiler alert, but I really think it's just a heads up. So be on the lookout for these as you read. You're going to read about 17 miracles of healing. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers leap. There are three resuscitation miracles. That's like the little girl in our story today. People who were dead coming back to life. There are six exorcisms, casting out of demons. One of those happens in Mark 5, just before the story we read. And then there are nine instances where Jesus demonstrated miraculous power over nature, like calming the storm. Now, that's a total of 35 miracles witnessed by the disciples and thousands of others during the three-year ministry of Jesus. And one of his disciples, John, says this about it all. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, notice three things about what John said. First, he says that Jesus did many other miracles. The 35 total and the specific seven that John records in his gospel were some of many, a selection which were written down and preserved in the word of God. Second, John uses the word signs rather than the word miracle. John is specifically saying that each miracle is more than just a miracle, more than a single act of power on display. Each miracle, well, it's like a neon sign, but not one that highlights the miracle itself. Because if that's all that we can see, whether we're awed by it or skeptical of it, we're actually distracted. And that takes us to the third thing that John says. The miracle is meant to instill belief, not in the miracle, but in the miracle worker so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ. Every miracle is a sign pointing to Jesus. That's what those definitions stated a moment ago, and that's our big idea today. Every miracle is a sign pointing to Jesus. Now, you, you personally, you may be in need of a miracle, and you may be wondering if miracles still happen. You may want to know how to pray for a miracle. And those are all important, and the Bible addresses each of them. But that's not what we're doing here today. We're studying the miracle worker himself. And that's okay, because listen, before you start claiming healing, you must know the healer. So today, we're going to unpack more and more of the theology around who Jesus is. And so let's start with how miracles reveal the identity and the mission of Jesus. The first way that these miraculous signs reveal the identity and mission of Jesus is to show us that Jesus is God. All of his miracles are done in the power of Yahweh, the great I am, the creator of the universe. Derek touched on this last week when he said, not only did Jesus claim to be God, but he also proved it. He claimed to be God with divine claims and he proved it with divine demonstrations. In John 10, we see Jesus at the temple and he's got the Jewish leaders all riled up and they are literally gathering up a pile of stones so that they can kill him. And Jesus says to them, I have shown you many good works from the father for which of them are you going to stone me? 
Even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, the miracles are more than just good works. They are signs of Christ's divinity and thus his divine power. Unlike Old Testament prophets, maybe, who did miracles, Jesus was more than just a prophet. For example, after he heals the paralytic, he forgives the man's sins, and that's an authority which belongs only to God. After he calms the storm, the disciples are like, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea are obeying him? And after the incident when Jesus walks on water, remember that one? The disciples in the boat, probably with their jaws on the ground, worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Now Jesus didn't walk around saying, I am God, but he certainly behaved like he was. And the religious leaders were seriously offended. So go back to the story in Mark 5 with me. Jairus and the bleeding woman, they both know that Jesus has the power to heal. Jairus asks Jesus to touch his daughter. The bleeding woman reaches out for that touch. And what happens? It says that the power goes out of him. This is the power that will one day raise Jesus from the dead, and it stops one daughter from bleeding and brings another daughter back to life. Those in need of that miracle, they don't need him to explain by what authority this is done. They're just thrilled to receive it. But so that we will know and so that we will have certainty, Jesus himself has told us, I and the Father are one. That's a bold claim, but it's one that's backed up by 35 recorded miracles, 35 divine demonstrations that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, because every miracle is a sign pointing to Jesus. Now, the second way that signs reveal the identity and mission of Jesus is that they reveal Jesus is compassionate. He reveals his care and his kindness through his miracles. This is no wizard turning people into toads or witch mixing magical potions. This is the good shepherd who cares for and will one day lay down his life for his sheep. He is deeply moved by human suffering. And he demonstrates healing power as evidence that we can trust him, love him, and follow him. Look back to the story. Jairus, he was, he was a leader. He was a somebody kind of a big deal, as my husband Nate would say. But the bleeding woman, she was a nobody. She's an untouchable. She's unclean. She lives on the edge of society. So one of the key figures in this story is a cultural icon. The other is a cultural pariah. He was included. She was excluded. So don't miss the profundity of what Jesus did. In the press of the crowd and the urgency of Jairus's request, Jesus paused for a broken woman. No one expected him to stop, least of all her. And that 12-year-old girl he's rushing toward, what was her worth in that society? It wasn't much. Now, it was made greater because her daddy loved her. But then Jesus demonstrated the all-surpassing loving kindness of God. And so both the woman and the girl, their daughters, they are worthy to be healed. They're worthy to be wholly restored by the hand of Jesus. Now, the third way that these signs, these miracles reveal the identity and mission of Jesus is that they show us Jesus is Messiah. Derek's going to elaborate on this a whole lot more next week, but let me just mention a couple things. The story of the Old Testament you see is this story of God on a mission to rescue and restore his people. And the object of the people's hope is a promised Messiah. He's going to be the great rescuer. Isaiah prophesied, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, 
the people, they're looking for their deliverer. And there's been some great leaders who have risen up. Some have even claimed to be Messiah, but they were all arrested and they were all killed. And John the Baptist, while he's in prison, he's wondering if Jesus is the like really real deal. And so he sends his guys to ask, are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Do you hear the echoes from Isaiah's prophecy? John would have definitely heard them, and he would have known that Jesus is saying, I am the one. Jesus says it even more clearly in John 5, 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Again, the signs, the works, the wonders, they're all pointing to Jesus. His radical compassion for the poor and broken, for the blind and lame, for the unclean, even for the dead. Every touch reveals that he is God and he loves God's people. And it also reveals that he is the Messiah, the rescuer that God has promised. And he's come to bring far more than just a miracle. He's come to bring them salvation. Go back to the story with me. The people of Israel, they know about the promised Messiah, and they know his coming will be marked by signs. And so the people are expecting miracles, and now they're seeing them. Jairus, the crowd of witnesses, the disciples, the bleeding woman, they're all watching, and they're all wondering, is this Jesus truly the one we've been waiting for? The signs are pointing to Jesus. They're revealing that he's God. He's compassionate. He's the Messiah. And the fourth way that they reveal his identity is to show us that Jesus is king. All of the miracles, they are all a glimpse of the kingdom of God under the lordship of Christ. One of the themes running through the whole of scripture is this theme of exile. From Genesis 3 onward, God's people are living in a world that's not their true home. But with the coming of Jesus comes the kingdom of God. And so, for example, in the exorcisms, the kingdom of God is launching this all-out frontal assault on the kingdom of Satan. And for each individual that's possessed by demons, Jesus reaches out to take back a precious life that has been held captive and tortured by the enemy. And so in the most profound way, his miracles demonstrate that he is on the throne. Christian author Philip Yancey writes, The miracles he did perform, breaking as they did the chains of sickness and death, give me a glimpse of what the world was meant to be, and it's still hope that one day God will right its wrongs. To put it mildly, God is no more satisfied with this earth than we are. Jesus' miracles offer a hint of what God intends to do about it. Now, my kids, they enjoy listening to audiobooks while we're driving. And right now, we're listening to a series called The Green Ember by S.D. Smith. It's a world of rabbits, and they're exiled and oppressed by evil raptors, eagles, and wolves. And the rabbits are waiting and hoping and fighting for their true king and heir to be restored to the throne of their kingdom. And as they endure hardship and sickness and even death, they repeatedly echo this hope to one another. It will not be so in the mended wood. Go back to our story in Mark 5. The woman bleeding for 12 years. The 12-year-old girl lying on her deathbed. It's not supposed to be this way. This woman's body, it wasn't made to bleed for over a decade. And this little girl was not made to die after only 12 years. We should never think of the sorry state of this world as normal. It was once whole and it's now broken. 
And so by healing one broken body and by bringing one dead child back to life, Jesus was making the sad things come untrue. He was mending God's broken world. That's from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Jesus is pulling back the curtain, showing what it's going to be like when the king comes, when his kingdom comes, when our prayers for your kingdom come, your will be done are answered in full and the king rules and reigns. Every amazing miracle is a sign pointing to Jesus. Jesus is greater than the healing, right? Every person he touched and healed, they're going to eventually die a physical death, but Jesus is greater because in the name of Jesus, even death has lost its victory. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down, as the old gospel song says. Every miracle points to Jesus, the king, whose kingdom has no end. The resurrection of Jesus accomplished for us the greatest miracle. It's permanent rescue from the disease of sin and the shackles of death. And in his name, we have this glorious hope of eternity in his kingdom. And that's great, right? That's great. But for 2,000 years, Christians have been crying out, come Lord Jesus, and he continues to delay. So what do we do now when the hope of eternity has not yet been realized? First, remember that the reality of this world is not supposed to be this way. Sickness and death, they're normal for us, but this isn't how it was meant to be. And we have to know that and believe that. But also we must know that there will be struggle and there will be sickness and there will be death until Jesus comes. From a class I took called the story of scripture, I read this. It says, we experience God's forgiveness, but we still sin and will never be perfect in this life. We have victory over death, but we will one day die physically. We still get sick and not all Christians will experience healing. We live in the spirit, but Satan will continue to attack and do damage. God lives within us, but we do not yet live in, the, in God's presence. So as people living in the now and the not yet, we should be neither naively optimistic nor despairingly pessimistic. Instead, we need to be hopefully realistic. Go back to that story with me just one more time. In the sight of many witnesses, Jesus healed the bleeding woman and brought the little girl back to life. And when we put this story alongside the 33 additional miracle accounts in the Gospels, we see Jesus revealed as the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the compassionate Son of Man, and as the true King of a better kingdom. Remember John's testimony. Now, these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Written so that you may believe. So what about you? Do you believe? You can't brush Jesus off. Just like those crowds, those disciples, those Pharisees, those lame and blind and bleeding and dying people we're reading about, we all react to Jesus and our reactions are not neutral. There are actually four kinds of reactions to Jesus that we read about again and again in the Gospels. And so as I read, I want you to consider which ones are you. Do you stand in wonder and amazement? When the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke and the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Or perhaps you feel profound faith and gratitude. Like these guys, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Or one of the lepers, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his, feet, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Or maybe, maybe you're just left with a sense of fear and terror. 
And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. And I hope not, but it is possible that you are having this fourth reaction, opposition and hatred. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Or though he had done so many signs before him, they still did not believe in him. Guys, every miracle is a sign pointing to Jesus, son of God, compassionate shepherd, Messiah, king, and every witness to the bleeding woman's death, healing, and the dead girl's resurrection came face to face with Jesus. And not all of them responded in faith. Not all of them believed. But what about you? How will you respond to him today? Will you believe him or will you reject him? In Mark 9, 24, the father of a demon-possessed boy cries out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. So do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the miracle worker? Do you believe that his miracles are signs that are pointing to him? Do you believe he's the son of God who has the power to save and to heal? Do you believe he has compassion for you? Do you believe he's the Messiah who's come to rescue you? Do you believe he's the king to whom we pray with every breath, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? If your answer is yes, if you know that you are miraculously, wondrously saved by the miracle of Christ's birth, life, death, and resurrection, then your whole life, well, it's a sign that's pointing to him. And so let your life and your words and your actions tell his story. And if you know that he is here now and that he is coming again, I invite you to respond with wonder and amazement, with faith and gratitude as you worship him.